The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we are wrapping up our series on generosity, and we're also commemorating the Reformation. And when you think about it, as I thought about it, uh, the Reformation began all about money. If you know the story, the history, a friar named John Tetzel comes to Germany selling indulgences. Indulgences were essentially a get-out-of-purgatory-free card. Pay the fee don't have to spend the time in purgatory. And the whole thing was a big money-making scheme to pay for St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So a young monk protests this. His name is Martin Luther. He writes 95 theses or statements, and this is what then sparks the Reformation because they're taken and with the printing press, which had just been invented, it's spread everywhere. Now, those 95 statements protest essentially three things, the sale of indulgences, the doctrine of purgatory, and the power of the Pope. But the whole episode and the whole controversy, I think, actually highlights a deeper spiritual problem that we can all have. The idea that interacting with God is sort of like doing business, right? You bargain with God, you barter with Him. Uh, you, you cut a deal with God. I give him what he wants, he gives me what I want. Martin Luther himself actually did this. It's how he became a monk. He was caught in a terrible thunderstorm. He thought he was going to die, and he cried out, Saint Anne, Mother of Mary, save me, and I'll become a monk. He cut a deal. The problem is, if you go down this road, it will torture you. Martin Luther, the young Martin Luther, was a tortured man. His view of God was that God was angry with him for his sin, and so what he had to do was try to make God happy. And so he tried with heroic effort to do all the things God wanted him to do, or so he thought. I mean, he fasted constantly. He'd sleep on the cold floor in his little cell in the monastery. He tried everything, but it was never enough. It was never enough. The guilt would never go away from him. And many of us know that feeling. Now, when we look at the gospel reading today, you have this Pharisee. 
who, like Martin Luther, also sort of makes that transactional move towards God, except he thinks he is good enough. I mean, he basically gives God a sales pitch, selling himself to God, right? He highlights all his good points. I fast. I tithe. And then he compares himself to his competition and shows why he's so much better. I'm not like those other people, the unjust, the adulterers, the extortioners, or like that tax collector standing over there. Aren't you happy with me, God? Actually, no. Jesus says the irony of all ironies is that it was the tax collector who got things right. Because when he approached God, he came with nothing in his hands. He didn't have anything that he could bargain with God about. All he had was his sins. And he offers a humble prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The very thing we prayed as we began this liturgy. And Jesus says it's the tax collector who went home justified which means he went home right with God, in a right relationship with God. This is what Martin Luther eventually comes to understand and to know, and it's what we all need to know, that God doesn't deal with us by making deals. It's not how it works. It's not about me trying to do whatever I got to do to make God happy, and then he'll reward me, and he'll make me happy, or if I don't, well, then I'm going to pay the price. No. Now, let's look at Romans 3 again. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now that's a lot. Let's let's try to summarize there what Paul is saying. Number one, we are all sinners. We've all sinned. And sin poisons and ruins our relationship with God. But number two, we can't make up for it. No matter how hard we try, we cannot close that gap of our sin. Number three, though, and here's where the good news comes, is that God makes things right in Jesus. It's not our heroic efforts and being good good little boys and good little girls. No, no, it's everything God has done for us in Jesus. It's that Jesus shed his blood for us and paid the price for our sin. And number four, it's a gift. We're not bartering with God to get it. No, God offers it freely to us as a gift. There are no strings attached. We can't earn it in any way. He offers it all to us as gift, His mercy, His love, His acceptance. How many of you think you've got to win approval? This is like the dying thing inside your heart that you've got to somehow win approval. It might be somebody else's approval. You think you've got to win God's approval. No, it's a gift. Which takes us to number five, believe it. Believe it, accept it, and not just accept it in your head, absorb it into your heart, trust it. Interacting with God is not a transaction. In fact, as we interact with Him and we come into a relationship with Him, it's transformational, it transforms us, it changes everything. If this is then the way you begin to see the world, you get this down and you understand that it's all gift, it's all Jesus, then it begins to transform how you see everything and how you do everything. So let's take, for example, one example in our life, which is our generosity, how we give. I want to talk specifically about the tithe because it comes up in the gospel reading. Tithing means giving 10% of your income to the Lord, right? 
The Pharisee, this, by the way, tithing is, is the standard biblical proportion for giving. This is what God asks of us. It's the standard. The Pharisee then looks at that and says, God, aren't you happy with me? I tithe on everything. Actually, no, that did not make God happy. That's not the point. And he didn't understand it. But see, we can have all kinds of things about tithing that we misunderstand. So to kind of get started in looking at this, I want to show you a video of the skit guys. If you don't know who the skit guys are, they're sort of like a Christian Saturday Night Live. And they're going to help us maybe look at a few views on tithing. Let's take a look. All right. Well, what do you give to the Lord? And what are the different motivations and and attitudes that you have of your heart? And have you ever taken the time to actually calculate and think about what you give? I mean, have you ever said, well, here's what I make, here's what 10% would be, right? Do you know what the average American Christian gives? 2.5%. A quarter of what the Lord asks us to give. That's the average American Christian. But we have our reasons, right? We heard some of them in the video. We have our reasons, our <clears throat> excuses. I call them the big butts, not that kind of butt. And I got four big butts for you this morning. But, here's the first one, but that's a lot of money, 10%. It is. On the other hand, it's kind of how you look at it, right? We've been saying throughout this entire series, it's not mine, it's his. So if someone came to you and says, I want you to make my investments for me, when the profits come in, you keep 90%, I'll just take 10 back. Who would not take that deal? I mean, what a commission, right? But this is essentially what the Lord offers to us. And number two, but I don't know if we can do that. We've got a lot of expenses. I, I don't know if we can afford doing that. I know, I get it. I know some of us really struggle. But on the other hand, have you tried? Maybe as you're struggling and wrestling with your finances, is it possible that it's because you don't have things rightly ordered in your life, that you try to do everything else, and then if there's something for the Lord, you do that, versus doing what God asks to make Him first and then put everything else under that? I know that it can be a struggle, but do we trust Him? In Malachi... The prophet throws a dagger to the heart. He says, you know, if, if you don't tithe, if you don't give 10% to the Lord, it's like you're robbing God. <laughs> Ouch. But it doesn't stop there. The point is not just to guilt us. Malachi goes on to say, the Lord says through Malachi, test me. Test me. Do it. Give 10% and see if I don't take care of you. See if I don't take care of you. I mean, trust ultimately is the real issue. Do we believe God's good on His promises? Do you believe that your eternity is secure in Jesus? Oh, that's pathetic. Do you believe that your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ? Yes. Amen, right? Absolutely. If you could trust your eternity to God, why not 10% of your income? Isn't your eternity a little bigger of a deal? Number three, but... Pastor, Malachi is in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. We don't have to live by those requirements anymore. Yes, Jesus did fulfill the Old Testament. It's true. So Jesus comes in the New Testament, and through Jesus, 
we get more grace from God. We have a greater revelation of God in Jesus. We get more and more and more. Does that mean then we should give less? As Jesus comes into this world, what do you think? Does that lower the standard of giving or does it raise the standard of giving? Does it call us into even more? What does it mean it says, when it says Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and all those laws? It means he filled them with love. It wasn't because Jesus, this was required of him. He's not bartering with his father. No, it's because he loves his father and because he loves us. That's why he did it. And friends, this is the key. Of all the things I say today, please get this. Tithing is not a requirement. It's a response. It's a response to all the love that you've received. Jesus has loved so fully, so now I want to love fully. Not because I have to. That always fill you with guilt. No, 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 because I want to. I want to respond. Last one. But I am so sick of the church talking about money. You just want my money. Actually, God does. It's his word, not mine. But why does he want it? Think about it for a minute. Why does God want your money? He doesn't need it. He's God. So maybe he has a different motivation. Maybe this isn't about what God wants from you. That's a transaction. It's more about what God wants for you. Everything about Jesus tells us, friends, that God is so for you. He is for you. That's why he gave his son. So when he asks you to give, what do you think he wants for you, not from you? Well, why don't you find out? Give it a try. If you're not giving 10%, try it. That's what God says. Try it. Test me. See what happens. See if it doesn't transform your life. I'll provide for you, says the Lord. Trust me on that. Maybe it also does more than just that God provides for us. Maybe it'll teach us to trust, teach us to be generous, teach us to be gracious and kind. Isn't that what we all want to be? That's what God wants for us. And those of you who are giving 10%, don't see it as the end game. I'm doing what God asks of me. Check. Am I done now? No. That's still a then that's just another transaction, right? Giving 10%, as I said, is the standard biblical proportion for giving. It's the baseline. But here's the funny thing. This goes back to the New Testament. When Jesus comes in the New Testament and when he begins to impact people's lives, look what happens. The range of giving goes from 10% all the way up to 100%. Some people give everything away. We heard last week from Pastor Davis about Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to him and and loves him and accepts him, and Zacchaeus gives 50% of what he has away, and then he pays back all the wrongs he's done four times over. Why? Because Jesus said you have to? It's a requirement? No, Jesus never said that. Jesus just transformed his life, and Zacchaeus became this incredibly generous person. Friends, Jesus has transformed your life. Jesus has impacted your life. What does he want? Not from you. What does he want for you? Tithing is is not the end game. It's the starting point. It's not the ceiling. I've arrived. No, no, no. It's actually the floor. So try to get there. 
and build up then from there. Test God, stretch. Test him and see if he doesn't even give you more so that you can then even give more. Why don't you find out how generous God could make you? 